another episode of the anarchist experience uh episode 330 aka year seven week 28 coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and once again another what is that is, is it just like certain parts of the year they're not passing a bunch of laws and doing dumb shit so it seems like the news cycle's a little slow i, I gotta <laughs> no, like i gotta I time know. that because there's again <laughs> not not much big news going on this it's, week like the summer break it could be, yeah. Uh, you know, Congress is not in such, like, I, I have a whole bunch of show prep, right? And some of it's good, some of it's bad on the cusp, um, but none of it is like the whatever government, state, local, or otherwise um, is egregiously passing laws, right, that will affect your life. So, you know, uh, and to me, that's that's the bulk of this. Like, look at the dumb shit that they're doing, and it's, you know, Maybe it's the Olympics. The Olympics are going on. I don't know. My feed is full of Olympic news. So maybe maybe that's what it's what's doing it. Either way, uh, not a lot of bunch of not a lot of, you know, real news in the news cycle this week. Like I, I told you pre show, like the most interesting thing that happened was like Biden may have eaten a booger on TV. And that was <laughs> that was about it. Like uh, sir, you got some like shit on your chin. Oh yeah, you look at that, you know. <laughs> and then and then like i said flip the card around so the cameras took a picture of it and the, the note that he was handed actually said sir you have stuff on your chin so very you know i don't know if which is worse right like eating stuff off your face in the middle of a press conference or using two hands the way trump did to drink that bottle of water this is, <laughs> these are the leaders of the free world like you know the, the two-hand bottle of water would just picking stuff off your face you know proverbial egg on your face type of thing so yeah like i said not much going on so i have headlines where to begin where to begin let's begin here headline why progressives will never accept market-based medical care uh, headline libertarian reform measures do not advance liberty headline when society collapses will the united states be one of the best places to be located huh? headline labeling anti-lockdown protesters anarchists is wrong, says a law professor. Uh, headline, women will be tried again for a shaken baby case from 1984. Uh, headline, the idea of kidnapping Governor Whitmer came from the FBI. This is a new article. This is not necessarily new information. I just, I don't think we've covered it here. And I think I pulled it as show prep several weeks ago for Free Talk Live, and we didn't cover it there either. So I don't, I don't know what's been added to this news necessarily, um, but I also don't hear a lot of coverage about it. Uh, headline, Canada, uh, Canada's left is pushing some Albertans to see the benefits of secession. It's a good thing there. Uh, headline, as voters blame Biden policies for inflation spike, White House pushes, pushes massive infrastructure plan. Headline, Biden's Rescue Act targets Americans' freedoms. Headline, should taxpayers be on the hook for all rental debt? 
accrued during the pandemic. Uh, headline, restaurants are winning the fight with cities trying to ban gas-powered stoves. And finally, headline, Elizabeth Warren says people are struggling and Jeff Bezos hasn't pitched in enough. Oh, no. Any particular place you want to start this week, MC? Um, the idea of the kidnapping. Oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh, the idea of kidnapping Governor Whitmer came from the FBI. It was a plot designed by the agency, and then they went on the hunt to target people they believed they could manipulate into joining their plot. Uh, just a little pretext for this. Uh, there, there was a handful of people arrested, and I'll give you the numbers before we get into the article so you can see the context. Uh, like six people were actual participants in the plot, and then another 12 was like FBI informants. So of this group of people, there were twice as many FBI, you know, plants and informants than there were people actually, you know, getting in trouble for this. Uh, into the article. The narrative that domestic anti-government extremism is the greatest threat to U.S. national security. The official position of the U.S. security state and the Biden administration received its most potent boost in October 2020, less than one month before the 2020 presidential election. That was when the FBI and Michigan state officials announced the arrest of 13 people on terrorism, conspiracy, and weapons charges, with six of them accused of participating in a plot to kidnap Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who has been a particular target of criticism from President Trump for her advocacy for harsh COVID lockdown measures. The headlines that follow were dramatic and fear-inducing. Quote, FBI says Michigan anti-government group plotted to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, announced the New York Times. The same night ABC News began its broadcast this way, quote, Tonight we take you into a hidden world, a place authorities say gave birth to a violent domestic terror plot in Michigan, foiled by the FBI, unquote. Democrats and liberal journalists instantly seized on this storyline to spin a pre-election theme that was as extreme as it was predictable. Governor Whitmer herself blamed Trump, claimed the plotters heard the president's word not as a rebuke, but as a rallying cry, as a call to action, unquote. Uh, Represent Representative Maxine Waters claimed that, quote, the president is a deranged lunatic and he's inspired white supremacists to violence, the latest of which was, uh, was a plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer, adding, quote, these groups have attempted to kill many of us in recent years. They are following Trump's lead, unquote. Vox's paid television watcher and video manipulator, Alan Rupar, drew this inference, quote, Trump has commended the FBI for breaking up Whitmer kidnapping murder plot because, as always, he doesn't want to denounce his base, unquote. Michael Moore called for Trump's arrest and having incited the kidnapping plot against Governor Whitmer. One viral tweet from a popular Democratic Party activist simply declared, quote, Trump should be arrested for this plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. There's no doubt he inspired this terrorism, unquote. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo instantly declared it to be a terrorist attack on America. Quote, we must condemn and call out the cowardly plot against Governor Whitmer for what it is, domestic terrorism, unquote. MSNBC's social media star Kyle Griffin cast it as a coup attempt. Quote, the FBI thwarted what they described as a plot to violently overthrow the government and kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. 
unquote, CNN's Jim Scudio pronounced it deeply alarming. A lengthy CNN article dressed up as investigative expose that was little more than stenography of FBI messaging disseminated from behind a shield of anonymity purported in the headline to take the reader inside the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. It claimed that it all began when angry discussions about COVID restrictions spiraled into a terrorism plot, officials say, with Governor Gretchen, uh, with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the target of a kidnapping scheme. CNN heralded the FBI's use of informants and agents to break up the plot, but depicted them as nothing more than passive bystanders reporting what the domestic terrorists were plotting. Quote, the watchman had been flagged to the FBI in March, and one of its members was now an informant. That informant, others on the inside, as well as undercover operatives and recordings, allowed the Bureau to monitor what was happening from then on. Unquote. The article never once hinted at, let alone described the highly active role of these informants and agents themselves in encouraging and designing the plot. Instead, it depicted these anti-government activists as leading one another on their own to commit what CNN called treason in a quaint town. The more honest headline for the CNN article would have been inside the FBI's tale of the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. But since CNN never questioned the FBI, they employ their top agents and operatives once they leave the bureau in order to disseminate their propaganda. This is what the country got from the most trusted name in news. And there's a picture uh, inside the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. Governor Whitmer herself attempted to prolong the news cycle as much as possible all but declaring herself off-limits from criticism by equating any critiques of her governance with incitement to terrorism. Appearing on Meet the Press two Sundays after the plot was revealed, Whitmer said, it was, quote, incredibly disturbing that the President of the United States, 10 days after a plot to kidnap, put me on trial and execute me. 10 days after that was uncovered, the President is at it again and inspiring and incentivizing and inciting this kind of domestic terrorism. Unquote. On October 22nd, just two weeks before Election Day, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow hosted Whitmer and told Michigan governor that the evidence was clear that Trump had been turning on the faucet of violent threats against her. Whitmer agreed that Trump was to blame for the kidnapping uh, plot by having repeatedly attacked her in his rallies. Joe Biden also made repeatedly use of the storyline, appearing at a campaign rally in Michigan on October 16th. The Democratic candidate blasted Trump for the crime of continuing to criticize Whitmer even after she was the target of a terror plot. He explicitly blamed Trump for having incited it. Quote, when the president tweeted, liberate Michigan, liberate Michigan, that's the call that was heard. That was the dog whistle, unquote. And he accused Trump of purposely stoking a wave of the worst kind of terrorism on U.S. soil. Quote, it's the sort of behavior you might expect from ISIS, he said of the accused. Yet from the start, there were ample and potent reasons to distrust the FBI's version of events. To begin with, FBI press releases are typically filled with lies, yet media outlets, due to some combination of excessive gullibility, an inability to learn lessons, or a desire uh, to be deceived, continue to treat them as gospel. For another, the majority of the terror plots the FBI claimed to detect and break up during the first war on terrorism were in fact Plots manufactured, funded, and driven by the FBI itself. Indeed, the FBI has previously acknowledged that its own powers and budgets depend on keeping Americans in fear of such attacks. 
former FBI assistant director Thomas Fuentes in a documentary called The Newberg Sting about a about a 2009 FBI arrest on four men on terrorism charges uttered this extremely candid admission. Quote, if you are submitting budget proposals for a law enforcement agency, for an intelligence agency, you're not going to submit a proposal that we won the war on terror and everything's great. Because the first thing that's going to happen is your budget's going to be cut in half. You know, it's my opposite of Jesse Jackson's keep hove alive. It's keep fear alive, keep it alive, unquote. In the Whitmer kidnapping case, the FBI's own affidavit in support of the charges acknowledged the involvement in the plot of both informants and undercover FBI agents over several months. Uh, there's a, a picture and it's highlighted, so I'll read the highlighted part. The FBI relied on informant information provided by confidential human sources and undercover employees over several months. Uh, in sum, there was no way to avoid suspicion about the FBI's crucial role in a plot like this, absent extreme ignorance about the Bureau's behavior over the last two decades, or an intentional desire to sow fear about right-wing extremism, extremists excuse me, attacking Democratic Party officials one month before the 2020 presidential election. In fact, the signs of FBI involvement were there from the start for those who, unlike CNN, wanted to know the truth. A report from the Detroit Free Press, published just two days after CNN's FBI stenography, noted that the FBI agents were incapable of identifying any specifics of this supposed plot, adding that defense attorneys were adamant that those accused were merely engaged in idle chatter, boasting that they were never really serious about following through. Then the paper added that for defense lawyers, quote, it remains to be seen what roles the other undercover informants and FBI agents played in the case, and whether they pushed the others into carrying out the plan, unquote. Meanwhile, an actually independent journalist, Michael Tracy, had no trouble identifying the telltale signs of FBI orchestration that were so apparent countless times during the first war on terror. Three days before CNN's story he wrote on Twitter, uh, looks like very elaborate long-term use of numerous FBI informants in that alleged Michigan militia plot. But the value of depicting Trump as having incited a frightening terrorist attack just weeks before the election and the zeal to feed the broader narrative pushed by the U.S. security state that anti-government extremism is America's greatest national security threat drowned out any skepticism. The storyline was clear and unquestioned. Trump was inciting ISIS-like terrorism on U.S. soil and right-wing extremists who would fester even after Trump was done were the primary menace that required new domestic powers and larger budgets in order to defeat. Yet, just as it happened with so many other narratives from origins of COVID to Hunter Biden's corrupt use of his ties to his father, Trump's defeat means the media is now willing to reconsider some of the propaganda that was pushed in the lead-up to the election. An excellent piece of investigative journalism published by BuzzFeed on Tuesday documents that far from being a passive, passive observer of the plot, FBI informants and agents were the key drivers of it. Quote, an examiner of the case by BuzzFeed News also revealed that some of those informants acting under the direction of the FBI played a far larger role than has previously been reported. Working in secret, they did more than just passively observe and report on the actions of the suspects. Instead, they had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. The extent of their involvement raises questions as to whether there would have even been a conspiracy without them, unquote. 
So central to this plot were those acting at the behest of the FBI that many of the accused plotters only met each other because of meetings arranged at the direction of the FBI who targeted them based on social media postings and other political activities that suggested anti-government and anti-Whitmer sentiment, which could be exploited. Quote, a longtime government informant from Wisconsin, for example, helped organize a series of meetings around the country where many of the alleged plotters first met one another and the earliest notion of a plan took root. Some of those people say the Wisconsin informant even paid for some hotel rooms and food as an incentive to get people to come, unquote. One of the FBI informants, a former Iraq war soldier, became so deeply enmeshed in a Michigan militant group that he rose to become its second in command. With his leadership role in one of the key groups and all while acting under the direction of the FBI, he was, quote, encouraging members to collaborate with other potential suspects and paying for their transportation to meetings. Indeed, he even prodded the alleged mastermind of the kidnapping plot to advance his plan, then baited and trapped that led to the arrest. A review of not only the BuzzFeed reporting, but also the underlying court documents leaves little doubt that the primary impetus for this plot came over and over from the FBI. On July 12, a lawyer from one of the defendants filed a motion asking the court to compel the FBI to turn over all chats which their agents and informants involving the plot. He did so on the grounds that the few chats they had obtained themselves from their own clients repeatedly show the FBI pushing and prodding its agents over and over to lure defendants into more meetings to join in, quote, recon exercises and to take as many steps as possible toward the plot. While it was clear from the start that there were FBI informants and agents in the middle of all this, it turns out that at least half of those involved were acting on FBI orders, 12 informants and agents. As BuzzFeed said, those acting at the behest of the FBI had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. All of that concluded the reporters uh, raised questions as to whether there would have been a conspiracy without them. But this evidence does not do so much as raise a question as it answers it. The idea of kidnapping Governor Whitmer came from the FBI. It was, a it was a plot designed by the agency, and they then went on the hunt to target people they believed they could manipulate into joining their plot. Either people who were easily manipulated to, uh, due to psychological weakness, financial vulnerability, and or their strongly held political views. In sum, the FBI devised this plot was the primary organizer of it, funded it, purposefully directed their targets to pose for incriminating pictures that they then released to the press, and then heaped praise upon themselves for stopping what they themselves had created. For anyone covering the FBI during the first war on terror, none of this is new. So many of the supposed terror plots the FBI purported to disrupt over the last 20 years were, just like the Michigan plot, ones that were created and driven by and would not have happened without the FBI's own planning, funding, and direction. Just as they are doing now, the FBI used those plots to elevate fear levels and justify more domestic surveillance powers and funding for the U.S. security state, while the targets then were typically young American Muslims with anti-government views rather than young right-wing white men with anti-government views, the tactics were identical. The examples are far too numerous to count, and one illustrative example in 2015, the FBI flamboyantly praised itself 
for arresting three Brooklyn men on charges of attempt and conspiracy to provide material support for the Islamic State of Iraq. Then, as now outlets such as the New York Times promoted the FBI's maximalist fear-mongering version of events, three Brooklyn men accused of plot to aid ISIS fights blared the headlines. But even that largely pro-FBI Times article raised the question of whether this plot was real or manufactured by the Bureau. Quote, the case against the three men relies in part on confidential information paid by the government, court documents show. Defense lawyers have criticized the government's use of informers in similar cases, saying they may lure targets into making extreme plans or statements. In some cases, the threat has turned out to be overstated. And the FBI itself admitted that the threats of violence from the three arrested, such as killing President Obama, had an aspirational quality to them with no indication that the suspects were close to staging an attack, large or small. The Times article also noted that the FBI observed that, in online postings, the two younger men seemed to be searching for meaning in their lives, adding that, as they were led into court, the youthfulness of Mr. Jerobov and Mr. Saitamekadov was striking. Analyzing all the evidence in this case, my then-colleague at the Intercept, Murtaza Hussein, documented the integral role a paid informant appears to have played in generating the charges against the men and helping turn a fantastical plot into something even remotely tangible. Indeed, he wrote, none of the three men was in any condition to travel or support the Islamic State without help from the FBI informant. It was only when the FBI sent an older Muslim man to gain their trust, acting as an FBI informant and being paid for his services, did anything resembling a crime start to form. The paid FBI informant encouraged the young men to pursue the plan more concretely, and only then did they begin agreeing with the informant's proposed plot. The informant befriended them, moved in with them, and spent months convincing both of them that he intended to travel to Syria to join the Islamic State. Just as it was true in Michigan case, Hussein wrote about the arrest, crucially, it appears that only after the introduction of these informant did any actual arrangements to commit a crime act come into existence. In sum, the covert informant under the direction of the FBI, which employs teams of psychologists and other mental health professionals who are experts in how to manipulate people's thinking, evidently helped encourage the two towards terrorism over the course of these months. I have also covered countless other FBI plots over the years where all the same attributes were present. After the 2015 ISIS arrest, I wrote an article compiling how often the FBI was doing this and asked the question in this headline. Quote, why does the FBI have to manufacture its own plot if terrorism and ISIS are such a grave threat? Unquote. Noting that the Bureau's behavior is akin to having the DEA constantly warn of the severe threat posed by drug addiction while it simultaneously uses pushers on its payroll to deliberately get people hooked on drugs so that they can arrest addicts they've created and thus justify their own warnings and budgets. Months before the 2015 ISIS arrest, the FBI issued a press release praising itself for arresting a Cincinnati-area man for a plot to attack the U.S. Capitol and kill government officials. But as I reported, the scary terrorist was 20-year-old Christopher Cornell, who is unemployed, lives at home, spends most of his time playing video games in his bedroom, still addresses his mother as mommy, and regards his cats as his best friend. He was described as a typical student and quiet but not overly reserved by the principal of the local high school he graduated in 2012. The House Speaker, John Bonner, immediately seized on that arrest to warn Americans to be afraid. We live in a dangerous country, and we get reminded every week of the dangers that are out there, uh, Bonner. Also told Americans that they should be grateful for domestic surveillance and not try to curb it. 
The speaker claimed that the National Security Agency's snooping powers helped stop a plot to attack the Capitol and that his colleagues need to keep that in mind as they debate whether to renew the law that allows the government to collect bulk information from its citizens. Yet the only way Cornell got close to any crimes was because the FBI informant began suggesting to him that he act on his rage against U.S. officials by attacking the Capitol. One of the most egregious cases I covered was the 2011 arrest of James Cromighty, an African-American convert to Islam who the FBI attempted to convince over the course of eight months to join a terror plot only for him to adamantly refuse over and over. Only once they dangled the payment of $250,000 in front of his nose, right after the impoverished American had lost his job, he did not agree to join, and then the FBI swooped in, arrested him, and touted their heroic efforts in stopping a terrorist plot. The U.S. federal judge who sentenced Cromighty to decades in prison, Colleen McMahon, said she did so only because the law of entrapment, quote-unquote, is so narrow that it is virtually impossible for a defendant to win, but in doing so, she repeatedly condemned the FBI in the harshest terms for single-handedly converting Cromighty from a helpless but resentful anti-government fanatic into a criminal. The defendant was incapable of committing an act of terrorism on his own, she said, adding, only the government could make a terrorist out of Mr. Cromighty, whose buffoonery is positively Shakespearean in scope. She added, there is not the slightest doubt in my mind that James Cromighty could have never dreamed up the scenario which he actually became involved, unquote. Her written ruling is worth quoting at length because of how relevant it is to current FBI activities. The judge began by noting that Cromighty had successfully resisted going too far for eight months and agreed only after the government dangled what has to be almost irresistible temptation in front of an impoverished man from what I've come after literally dozens of cases to view as the saddest and most dysfunctional community in the Southern District of New York, unquote. It was the FBI's own informant, she wrote, who was the prime mover and instigator of all the criminal activity that occurred. She then wrote, emphasis added, the government indisputably manufactured the crimes of which defendants stand convicted. The crimes invented of all the details of the scheme. Many of them, such as the trip to Connecticut and inclusion of Stuart AFB as a target for specific legal purposes of which defendants could not possibly have been aware. The government selected the targets. The government designed and built the phony ordinance that the defendants planted or planned to plant. At government-selected targets, the government provided every item used in the plot, cameras, cell phones, cars, maps, and even a gun. The government did all the, the driving as none of the defendants had a car or a driver's license. The government funded the entire project, and the government, through its agents, offered the defendants large sums of money contingent on their per participation in the heinous scheme. Additionally, before deciding that the defendant, particularly Cromighty, who was in the sites for nine months, presented any real danger. The government appears to have done minimal due diligence, relying instead on reports from its confidential informant who passed on information about Cromighty information that could easily have been verified or not verified since much of it was untrue, but that no one thought it necessary to check before offering a jihadist opportunity to a man who had no contact with any extremist group and no history other than drug crimes. Unquote. One of the reporters who had most extensive covered the FBI's role in manufacturing terrorism cases in the proceeds to break up is Trevor Aronson. In 2011, he documented, working with the investigative reporting program at the University of California, Berkeley, that the 508 post-9-11 terrorist defendants, nearly half of the prosecution involved a use of informants, many of them incentivized by money. After 9-11, the FBI's budget increased 
power-enhanced strategies was to target tens of thousands of law-abiding people seeking to identify those disgruntled few who might participate in a plot given the means and opportunity by monitoring their social media postings and then, in case after case, the government provided the plot, uh, provides the plot, the means, and the opportunity. Of the terrorism arrests from sting operations, almost one-third uh, were ones in which defendants participated in plots led by Agent Provocateur, an FBI operative instigating terrorist actions. It is this long history and mountain of evidence that compel investigation into the role played by the FBI in the planning of the January 6th riot at the Capitol. And it is that same evidence that made the corporate media's der derisive reaction to such demands. As voiced by Darren Beatty's Revolver News, Fox News, Tucker Carlson, and myself. So ignorant and subservient. They acted as if only some unhinged conspiracy theorists could possibly believe that the FBI would have informants and agents embedded in the groups that planned the Capitol riot rather than what it is. The only logical conclusion for anyone who knows how the FBI actually behaves. Indeed, the BuzzFeed reporter who investigated the FBI's key role in the Michigan case must have been very disturbed by what they found since they used their reporting to raise that taboo topic, what role did the FBI have in January 6th? Moreover, they asked, is it yet another era where the FBI is targeting Americans not for criminality but for their political views and then orchestrating their own plots that justify the U.S. security state's massive budget and unlimited powers? Quote, instead, the accused say they were targeted because of their political views. Some describe the case as premeditated campaign by the government to undermine the patriot movement, an ideology based on fealty to the Second Amendment and the conviction that the government has violated the Constitution and is therefore illegitimate. They argue that the recordings and text messages that the government calls proof of a crime, criminal conspiracy, are in fact constitutionally protected speech, expressions of frustration at what they see as the government's betrayal of its citizens. The Michigan case is unfolding at another fraught moment in American history. In court, the government has drawn a direct line between alleged kidnapping plot and the January 6th insurrection holding up storming of the U.S. Capitol as evidence that the Michigan defendants posed a profound threat. If the defense is able to undermine the methods used to build the Michigan case, it could add weight to the theory that the administration is conducting a witch hunt against militant groups, and by extension that the January 6th insurrection was a black op engineered by the FBI. When Carlson raised these same questions on his Fox program, he did what I did when doing so cited my reporting as well as the Trevor Aronson's about the FBI's long history of orchestrating such plots and luring people into them using informants and undercover agents. Much of that reporting about the FBI's tactics were published by The Intercept, which, when aimed at American Muslims during the first war on terror, had an editorial view that it was extremely improper and dangerous for the FBI to do so. But now that it is being done to American anti-government activists on the right, the site's liberal editors seem happy about it. They got Aronson to write an article under the headline, Tucker Carlson distorted my reporting in his latest January 6th conspiracy theory. But that headline was an absolute lie. There was nothing in Aronson's article that pointed to any distortions in how Carlson or I cited Aronson's work. To the contrary, Aronson himself acknowledged that the FBI's past history, including in the Whitmer case, made Shutt's questions highly rational and necessary. Quote, in many of these things, informants and undercover agents provided all the money and weapons for terrorist plots, and sometimes even the ideas, raising significant questions about whether any of these people would have committed the crime were it not for the FBI's encouragement. 
Many targets of these FBI stings were mentally ill or otherwise easily manipulated. Carlson claimed fits an existing and well-established argument that the FBI creates crime through aggressive stings where no crime would otherwise exist. I think it's worth noting that there's a reason for cultural stickiness of the claim by Revolver and Carlson. It might be a conspiracy theory, but it's not exactly baseless as the Post described it. That's because there are genuine concerns that the sting tactics used over the past two decades against impressionable Muslims will be used against equally impressionable Americans with right-wing ideologies. In the supposed plot to kidnap uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, for example, FBI agents and informants played significant roles raising the same questions that surrounds so many supposed Islamic, Islamic states and Al-Qaeda cases in the United States. Would this plot have happened were it not for the FBI? In addition, there is evidence that the FBI is assigned informants to infiltrate groups based solely on right-wing ideology. And the increase in right-wing violence in recent years has prompted calls for new anti-terrorism laws that would give the FBI even more power. I think the FBI's investigation of potential right-wing threats and the degree to which the Bureau replicates its abusive post-9-11 tactics will be critically important story in the coming years. How news organizations report on it will be a significant test. While Aronson insists that no proof has yet been presented that the FBI had foreknowledge of the January 6th plot or encouraged it to happen, and also seized on a minor error in the Revolver News article originally raging these questions about confidential informants, an error I noted in my own article about this topic while explaining that was an ancillary and insignificant to the overall question. Aronson's article has far more in common with the primary theme raised by Carlson than it does the arguments uh, that Carlson distorted anything. In particular, Aronson writes, the FBI's ample history requires a serious investigation into the role it may have played in knowing about and or encouraging the January 6th plotters. As I documented in my own reporting of the question, there is ample evidence to believe that the FBI had informants embedded in at least two of the three key groups it says were behind the January 6th Capitol riots. As I noted at the time, mostly corporate press spewed contempt and scorn on these questions because January 6th has become an event that carries virtually religious importance to them and their reverence for the U.S. security state makes them resistant to any suggestion that the FBI may have acted deceitfully, an utterly bizarre mindset for U.S. journalists to possess, but just as the state of the liberal sector of the corporate press today. Now that one of their own liberal members in good standing, BuzzFeed, has not only proven the FBI's key role in the Whitmer plot, but also themselves suggested that it makes more plausible the Bureau's involvement in January 6, these questions are becoming increasingly unavoidable. Both the Whitmer plot and especially January 6 are absolutely crucial to everything that has happened since. Since the launch of the new war on terror, billions more in funds for the security state, proposals for greater surveillance, Biden's use of intelligence community to insist that an anti-government activist constitute the greatest threat to U.S. national security, asking what role the FBI played in the episode at the Capitol is not only rational, but imperative. End of the article. So any, any part of this article stick out to you? Anything surprising in any way? Is it news to you? Um, well, it, it is news, uh, the, the level of detail. Uh, went into it um but i'd like to pat myself on the back because i called that out actually i when when it happened i i, I said that uh you know it's so outlandish that um only the government could have come up with something like this it's just it, at one point 
they they said they were gonna kidnap the governor and then blow up a bridge or something. And I was like, who who could come up with that? It's just it's so uh, it sounds like something the government would come up with. It's just so dumb, and uh, so it was. And I and I think part of that coming from you is a lot of the history that they went into, right? Like we pay attention to this stuff more than I would say the average American. So when these plots and, and we're, you know, we're naturally anti-government and naturally skeptical. So when these plots come out, right? Like my first reaction is always, well, the government must've had a hand in it, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one is that dumb yet. There, there may come a time where those things become necessary um, but I don't, I don't think the vast majority of people are there yet. Um, and so when it does happen, right, it's like, oh, okay, they were the, the, the government, the state were trying to get something done and they were using these individuals as patsies to forward their own agenda. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there was a, we covered the, like, you know, the, the car, a car exploded near one of the vote recount places uh, several months ago. Right. And it's like, well, why did, why that guy? Like, what was, what was his motivation? You know, and he had uh, like, you know, one, one page letter or something detailing his hatred for the state and his desire to kill him, you know, some, some weird stuff like that. And at the time I go like, well, okay, it might sound conspiratorial, uh, but the likelihood is that they were aware of his, of his situation, right? That's the other thing that always comes out is like, oh, when, when it does happen, like these guys were being monitored and nothing was done. Now we need to do more. Right. And I said, well, they're aware they're they're always aware of these people. And the reason nothing gets done is because they're using them as patsies for something later. Right. Like when they need when they need that guy to like sacrifice himself to the state, that's when something bad happens and they catch him. Right. Like when mm-hmm. when you know, when the when the left or the Democrats or whomever like really need to to put Trump in a bad light as far, you know, when it when it comes to the you know, the the twenty twenty election. Right. What could be what could, what else could be done? So that's when they move forward uh, with these with these plots, plans, conspiracies where they go like we got them and then they levy all the blame on Trump. Right. Like, you know, take take back Michigan or liberate Michigan. Right. And from from liberate Michigan, um, they 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 say like, well, what he was really saying, the dog whistle was like kidnap the governor and blow up the bridge. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that's the connection that they're making when, when they right. say that where liberate Michigan basically, basically, you know, is like what's going on right now, which is, um, the individuals set themselves free from the overarching mandates of a governor gone crazy, right? Like, uh, I think California right now is looking to, you know, to lock down again, right? You know, the, the Delta variant, so scary Delta variant, and we'll get the hell out of there. And, you know, mm-hmm. and someone was posting like, oh, it's time. Like, you know, get out of, if you, you know, get out of California before this happens. And I'm not a closed border guy, but I'm like, please don't just stay there. <laughs> right. Like, don't, don't bring your crap here. You know, like, I don't, you know, I want more freedom loving people here, not, you know, fair weather freedom individuals who just don't want to wear a mask. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Like you, you, fa- you fair weather freedom lovers stay where you're at and fail there, you know, don't come here. Don't go, don't go ruin Texas either. Like the Californians migrating to Texas, Texas, Texas isn't there yet, but they're kind of coming up, right? Like Texas and Florida, 
uh, or the two like on the come up states as far as freedom is concerned, maybe, right? One election swings that back in the other direction. But those those are the two states that people are like, ah, we, we want more freedom. That's where we're moving to um, right now. And I would I would still pitch New Hampshire for that, but not if you're fair weather. If you're fair weather, go to Florida, go to Texas, you know, make it purple as much as you want. Right. And, you know, if you're if you're a hardcore freedom lover, hardcore liberty minded individual, uh, then, yeah, maybe maybe New Hampshire's right for you. Come check it out first so that so that we can vet you. Before, before going like, <laughs> right. Cause that, that's another thing that happened like several, um, it was, maybe it was before even the pandemic might've been several years at this point. Um, someone invited like a Republican chick who was like from Maryland or something to one of our meetup groups. And so we, we you know, we're having a discussion on, you know, the, the Liberty aspect, the freedom aspect, and she was not there yet. Like she had ways to go as far as valuing freedom and liberty and working on policy if, if you were going to get political in that direction. And so I was like, I'm not for it. Like if we were taking a vote right now to like let her into this community, I'm, I'm voting no, right? She's, she's not one of us. She might be near one of us, but she's not one of us. And talking with another one of uh, someone who's been here longer than me, um, you know, goes, well, we, we need to widen the tent. You know, we, we need to let people like that in. I went, ah, no, <laughs> no, it, you widen the tent, you water it down. You know, like I'm not, I'm not a big tent guy necessarily. Um, I want, I want the tent to be big, uh, but I don't want it encompassing. I don't, I don't want the, the freedom tent, the anarchist tent to encompass like single issue individuals, right? You're, you're not a libertarian just because you want to legalize drugs. There's a lot more to it than that, right? There's, you're, you're not a libertarian, uh, just because you you value you know the Second Amendment and you know fiscal conservatism, right? Like you're partly there, but uh, under our tent should you not come, right? Like get get all the way there and then call yourself a libertarian, because every 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 time someone has like their one issue where they're libertarian leaning on to go, ah, you're one of us, you're a libertarian too. Like come join us, libertarian. Let's talk about the one issue, uh, in 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 the hopes that you will swing you on the others, and it just doesn't happen. <laughs> So I think, you know, knowing that when it comes to, um, you know, plots like this, uh, the, the libertarian, the anarchist perspective, for me anyway, is that, of course, the government had a, pl- had a plot in it or had a plan in it or started it from the ground up. Like I'm not, uh, like you said, this article went into a lot of detail. I'm not surprised at all by any of this detail, right? Like we've seen it before. This is the playbook. Um, and the, the, the one aspect that I kind of want to take a look at when it comes to this playbook is the, the idea of revolution, right? And whether or not this playbook uh, creates a chilling effect to any sort of revolutionary activity, violent or otherwise, right? This is all like violent plots and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm surrounded by peaceful individuals who want to, to make change peacefully, uh, and, and, you know, peace is the way and all that, you know, all that stuff. I want to say nonsense, but it's not. It's okay. I don't mind it too much. Uh, but if if anytime someone suggests something other than a peaceful method, right, it's automatically assumed to be a terrorist plot. And to me, I think that that could be a tactic and a strategy by the government 
because they know the the government knows that the only way to usurp their power or to get rid of them or you know to to secede or to overthrow the federal government or or to bring an end to the state is going to include some sort of violent activity and they know this like if they can if if they can chill put that chilling effect on people so that no one ever thinks about talks about considers violence that they will never be overthrown and they will always maintain their power uh, i think that that in and of itself could be a useful tact uh, from them as well so they don't even care right like f- f- uh this is my conspiracy theory. They don't even care that they got caught or that people found out that this is an FBI plot. Like that in and of itself is part of the plan, right? You other militia groups, you know, wherever you're at, you know, who you, you think you're going to be plotting violence against the state. Just know there's already one of us amongst you, right? There's, there's already an undercover agent. There's already a confidential informant amongst you and so don't even think about it, right? Just go out into your woods, you know, LARP, LARP about being in the militia for a weekend and then sit your ass at home and pay your taxes, right? I can, <laughs> right? I mean, am I, am I wrong in that line of thinking? Like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, and, and you're probably right. Um, I, I, I really, I really don't know how many uh, violent extremist groups are actually out there uh, plotting to, do something i i think it's exceedingly rare um i would agree with that yeah it's it's we we do live in probably the most peaceful times um and yeah it's just uh yeah i don't i don't believe that there's i mean there's people there's there's more groups out there that are basically pro-gun and they're saying come and take it and of course they don't actually mean it. They don't actually want that. <laughs> they just want to keep their guns. But um, right, and if they were to come and take it, they would gladly turn it over, right? Yeah, because, I, I think so. Because better to be alive than to lose, you know, and lose your firearms than to to go out in a in a in a firefight of yeah. death. So there's one other thing that the article maybe it hints it on, but 99 um, percent of the people that saw the uh, the news out, you know break over over the the kidnap plot um they're not going to see the fallout and they're not going to see this article saying that it was just you know an fbi uh informant uh plot so uh most people will you know assume that there's a whole bunch of you know right-wing nuts out there uh that are trump supporters and they're violent and that's why uh, uh, the right is bad. Right. So, um, yeah, there, it's just going to be, that's, that's what they were told and that's what they're, they're going to assume. They're never going to question it. Um, so to me, that's the, that's the biggest problem. Um, the FBI can keep doing these types of things for political uh, outcomes and uh, be successful. And they're and you know, they're getting paid with taxpayer dollars. So it's another one of those things that it's a, it's a government institution that is just not necessary and does more harm than good. I mean, it's, it's whole purpose is to cause harm and disharmony. Right. Um, so, and, and that's what it does. And, and they don't care. They, 
<laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're getting paid to do it. Um, you know, just like, you know, military intervention overseas, how could it be wrong when the government that everybody worships is paying them to do it? Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's a, to me, it's a huge problem. You know, I, I think not only should the FBI be disbanded because of things like this, um, but they should all go to jail for a very long time. War crimes. Um, some kind. Right. I mean, they're coming up with terrorist plots, literally. <laughs> Just, what, yes. what, else, what else reason could you have to uh, put somebody in prison for uh, devising terrorist crimes and then trying to get people to do them? I mean, that's... <laughs> It's insane, but that's that's the world we live in. That that falls into the conspiracy realm of things, right? Like conspiracy to act. Right? You can you right. you agreed with a handful of other people to do a thing. You are part of that conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And again, I'll, you know, with with the the crypto six going on right now, uh, a lot of it is conspiracy charges, right? Because they, they they conspired together to defraud the banks and to commit money laundering. And if, mm. if they, and they're getting, they're not only getting charged with, uh, with the crime, but conspiracy to commit the crime, right? Cause they, they all went in on it together. Um, the other interesting point you brought up is, you know, what I call like the retraction on page B 17, right? Like the, the big headline grabs people, but the error correction is never the headline and it's mm-hmm. never, it's never front page news. It's like somewhere further down the page. Um, if you don't read newspapers anymore, Right. It'll be, you know, it won't be, it won't make the headline again, but if you click on the headline again, uh, then it'll be in the edit section down at the bottom, right? Like, oh, this article was corrected to include this information, right? But the headline doesn't get reposted. Um, It doesn't, the, the retraction doesn't get reposted. It happens later and you have to search for it, right? So everyone sees the headline, as you said, MC, uh, you know, the uh, militia plot to kidnap the governor. And for the most people, that's all they all, that's all they ever read. Right. Which is why, again, I said it, it was kind of important because I don't, I don't see this getting covered um, in many other places. Um, like even, I, I don't even know how to read this necessarily, but this, this article has like 2006 views. Like that's it. You know, apparently if I'm reading this right, 2006 views and 12 comments. Versus the millions of people who were made aware out of, uh, of the terror plot uh, initially through the mainstream media. So significantly lower reach when the truth comes out than when the, the headline is broken, you know, initially. And so whenever they, whenever they want to do something, right, they come out with the most bombastic headline possible. And you can blame the mainstream media on this if you want to. Uh, but they'll come out with the most bombastic headline possible because they know that they can apologize and retract it later. And that's not going to get the same amount of views. It's not going to get the same reach. It's going to show up way down the page or, you know, off to a different section. Um, and then they're legally covered because, oh, no, no, we issued a retraction. We, we made a mistake. We apologized for it. We retracted it. Here you go. Um, but, you know, le- less than 10% of people see that part of it. And so they, they repeat the headline that they recall, you know, being in the mainstream media news um, during the initial plot. And some people say, like, well, it's a failure on mainstream media then. You know, they're, they're incentivized to break the story first, that they're not incentivized to be truthful when they break the story because getting that headline first 
is more yeah. important. That's that's part of it too. But I mean, there's the the political incentives are, are the the biggest problem um, because of course, uh, well, orange man bad. So you have to come up with uh, enough reasons for for people to associate uh, Trump with bad things, and and, uh, and so you'll they will try to ruin people's lives uh, because well it fits with their narrative um so yeah yeah it's it there it's not it's not just that they're trying to get views they're trying to get views for to to keep people locked into uh an idea of uh fear and um i think that, i think people are afraid of the wrong things i think the 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 biggest uh group of terrorists in the U.S. at least, are are the FBI agents coming up with uh, all these crazy uh, plans. Yeah, because they're the only ones that are doing it, right? They, they hatch the plan, and then they, they find the patsies, and then they execute when it's politically useful for them to do so, right? If, if there wasn't an election coming up, you know, maybe they don't hatch the plan at all, or maybe they continue to string them along, right? Oh, now's not a good time. We got to we got to wait for a more prime opportunity. And then once they need that, you know, that political motivation, uh, then they unleash them and then arrest them later. Moving on. Sure. All right. How are we doing on time? I think we got time. Let's do a short one since we're getting close to the end here. This, this is short, but it's still interesting uh, in, the sa- in a similar vein as, well, look what the state can do uh, because they have the power. A woman will be tried again for a shaken baby case from 1984. But shaken baby syndrome has become a doubtful diagnosis in the ensuing years. Uh, it's short, but it's a, it's a pretty thorough article. Uh, a woman who pled guilty to shaking a baby 35 years ago has been charged with his murder upon his recent death at age 37. So... She shook him 35 years ago. He died recently, and they said, murder. Wow. Right. So I I wanted to reiterate that because you gloss it and you go, how is that even a thing? Uh, Terry McCurchy, now 59 and living in Texas, was babysitting five-month-old Benjamin Dowling in 1984 in Florida. The parents came home to find the baby turning blue. At the hospital, he was diagnosed with shaken baby syndrome. McCurchy was charged with first-degree attempted murder and aggravated battery. She was six months pregnant at the time and accepted a plea deal whereby she would only have to go to jail on weekends until she gave birth, reported the New York Daily News. Benjamin was severely handicapped the rest of his life. His death triggered the new charges against McCurchy, she now faces a possible life sentence. There's just one problem. In the intervening decades, shaken baby syndrome has come under increasing scrutiny as an illegitimate diagnosis. One recent meta-study, for instance, was titled Insufficient Evidence for Shaken Baby Syndrome, a a Systematic Review. This study of studies found that the once indisputable proof that a baby was shaken, the trifecta of brain bleeding, swelling, and bleeding behind the eyes, could in fact be caused by many other issues. Uh, Deborah Turkimer, something like that, a professor of law at Northwestern University, has written extensively on the subject and noted in a New York Times op-ed all the way back in 2010 
that bleeding in the brain can have many causes, including a fall, an infection, and an illness like sickle cell anemia or birth trauma. She added, quote, the new understanding of this diagnosis has only just begun to penetrate the legal realm. In 2008, a Wisconsin appeals court recognized that a shift in mainstream medical opinions had eroded the medical basis of shaken baby syndrome. The court granted a new trial to Audrey Edmonds, herself a mother of three, who had spent a decade in prison for murdering an infant in her care. Prosecutors later dismissed all charges, unquote. McCurchy, the former Florida babysitter, did in fact plead guilty to shaking the baby. At the time, she told the Miami Herald, I know I didn't do it. My conscience is clear, but I can't deal with it anymore. Unquote. She would have faced 12 to 17 years in prison if found guilty. The discrepancy in potential sentences between taking a plea and going to trial is particularly enormous in shaken baby cases, says investigative journalist turned filmmaker Susan Goldsmith. Goldsmith's documentary, The Syndrome, examines the disturbing willingness of courts and the public to, pre- uh, to believe a previously unheard of crime, baby shaking, was suddenly pervasive. She likened it to the panic over Satanism. In fact, her film traces how some of the very same experts who have promoted the idea that daycare centers were filled with child-raping Satanists went on to promote the idea that homes were filled with baby-shaking parents. The result, Goldsmith says, is hundreds of parents and caregivers behind bars for the crime of shaken baby syndrome, or as it has been rebranded, abusive head trauma. The exact number is impossible to determine as the charges fall under so many different names, manslaughter, homicide, child abuse. Turkheimer has suggested the wrongful convictions are so numerous, each state should create an innocence commission to review all shaken baby cases. But as it stands, said Goldsmith, anyone who brings a toddler or infant into an emergency with some kind of neurological issue is going uh, with some kind of neurological issue going on that they cannot explain. There's a good chance that they'll leave the hospital in handcuffs, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where to th- how to throw this to you, but I just want to I want to point this out really quickly as well. This th- this uh, this gentleman, the, the baby who was shaken was going to die at some point anyway, right? Like whether it was 35 years, 40 years, 45 years, at, you know, did, did, the, did the babysitter have to die first for these charges to not be, to not be brought up, right? Like he, he was shaken, maybe, you know, allegedly, and had a severe handicap the rest of his life. So at what, at what point is she free and clear? You know what I mean? You know, you know what I'm saying? Your thoughts? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to take the easy way on this one and say I don't know. That's for somebody else to figure out. It seems like it's complicated. <laughs> well, I, okay. I, I'll give my opinion then. She should have been free and clear once she served her sentence for the shaking the baby. Right? Sure. Right? Good, good enough for me. Yeah. And also good enough, um, you know, you do something bad and you pay for it for the rest of your life. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine like you, 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 fill your, you fulfill your sentence, right? You go, you, you're, you're pregnant. You go to jail every weekend, you know, whatever. It's better than not, grow, you know, with 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 a sentence of 12 to 17 years looming, right? And they go like, well, you can do weekends in jail if you take this plea. Um, it's, it's hard for me to not say I would do the same thing in her shoes, right? Like it's, you know, I can't put myself in her shoes. This is, you know, this, this is the... I want to say like the, the libertarian fallacy of getting arrested, 
right? Everyone was like, ah, you should have done this. And I, if I were you, I would have done it differently. You know, back to the, back to the, uh, crypto six, right? Like, oh, go out there and plead whatever. And, you know, don't give the, don't, don't give the court, uh, you know, jurisdiction, like do all this nonsense, maybe. Right. But you probably wouldn't do it if you were in their shoes either. So you have that looming, right? 12 to 17 years, which means you're going to miss all of your child, your, your child's childhood, uh, because you'll be in jail for a crime, which you claim is, you know, is, is your conscience is clear of, or you take the plea and you spend weekends in jail for a, a shorter period of time. You know, I can, you know, and it looks like she was six months pregnant at the time. So jail on weekends until she gave birth. Uh, so three months, three months worth of week of jail in the weekends, if you just plead guilty. So I can see that. But then imagine if knowing that after that, right, you would have a, a murder charge on, on your, you know, looming over you every day of your life. And, you know, because this dude's going to die eventually. And when he dies, they're going to blame it on you. Right. That also seems very unfair. Like this whole situation seems like a, a one big fuck up in the entire judicial system, right? Yeah, maybe. Okay, you say maybe. Where where do they have this right? In your opinion, like I mean, like I said, I I don't know. Okay, I just this is not a uh, not a big issue to me. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand up for this person that uh, pled guilty to uh, shaking a baby until. It, generated um disabilities um whatever well and that's there there that's not even clear right that's what she pled guilty to right but she says i know i didn't do it my conscience is clear mm -hmm. but faced with 12 to 17 years or three months of weekends in jail right like that's 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 the scales being weighed in her mind i didn't mm -hmm. do it but they're going to put me away for 12 12 years minimum or I can say that I did it and I, I have three months worth of weekends in jail. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, like kind of like a witch hunt type of thing. So, yeah, but, but I mean, it, anything you do now, right. Like, you know, you, 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 you rear end that guy at the traffic light, right. And you go like, I have those, my fucking fault. I rear ended him. And 30 years from now, he like dies of a neck injury, you know, and they go like, well, the neck injury was caused by, you're re-earning him 30 years ago, so murder, right? Not, or manslaughter, whatever. Or whatever. No, well, she's, she's. I think her, she was being charged again with attempted murder. Uh, charges first degree attempted murder and aggravated battery. Oh, no, that was the initial charge. Being charged with his, yeah, no, being charged with his murder upon his recent death at age 37. So 35 years later, because he died, um, you know, of, of, they don't say of what, but uh, allegedly, I guess, related to the, the handicap. Um, she's, she's now on the hook for murder like that. You know, like I said, no big deal to you seems excessive to me. I, I, I would have, yeah, a I think, with that. I, I think I'd be more interested in getting the first ruling th thrown out. Not, not, not the later. I mean, if, if yeah. the first thing didn't happen, then there'd be nothing to worry about. Well, and that, so. that may be a, the legal route that she's going to have to end up taking with her attorneys. Right. They're like, well, bef before we try this new case, you know, maybe we should reevaluate the old case based on the new information. Right. Right. Like, new things have come to light, dude. You know, there's new information has come to light. We need to reevaluate, especially if they're saying that 
shaking baby cases should have an innocence commission to review all of them. Um, and that, you know, there, there could have been other things that have had happened, um, in, in the initial event that caused this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Final thoughts? No. All right. That'll do it for us. Then you guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. Um, Doing the show on Clubhouse. Just search for us on Clubhouse. The the club is the Anarchist Experience. Or you can follow me individually to get in there. Uh, at Riches for Rich. R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four. R-I-C-H. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Anarchist Experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.